When you went to bed last night, Jesus was at work subduing his enemies. While you slept, he was continuing his rule over the world. He was still at it when you woke up this morning, even if it was pretty difficult for you to wake up this morning. And even now as we're here in this worship service, he continues to rule, to lead, and be victorious. That is the outrageous claim, Tim Chester says, of the ascension and the session of Jesus Christ, where after Jesus died and rose again, after 40 years of being on this planet, he ascended back up into heaven at the Father's right hand, there to be enthroned as the King of kings and Lord of lords. It's outrageous because his rule is not recognized in this world that he created. Open up any newspaper. I mean, I still like opening the newspaper. And some of you are like, what's a newspaper? Some of these younger ones. Open up your tablet. Look at those news feeds, wherever you get your information. And you do not see the rule, the reign, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Instead, it's full of conflict, crime, turmoil, and heartbreak. And yet, the story of the ascension and session is the story of the enthronement of Jesus as king of this world. Last week, we asked ourselves a question, why did Jesus leave? After his resurrection, you would think the disciples were like, okay, Lord, is this now the time for the kingdom? Are we going to really see things take a, a, a big step forward? What would evangelism look like if Jesus was here on the earth, the crucified Savior, and now still walking around this planet? Uh, I don't know if he would uh, hop on a train or a plane, but whatever it would be, it would be pretty amazing. He could turn to people just like he did to Thomas, doubting Thomas, and say, take your finger, look at my hands. Look at my hands. Take your hand, look at my side where they put the spear through. Can you imagine what that would be like? And as Jesus said to, to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. But that wasn't God's plan. It wasn't God's plan that, that Jesus would continue physically, visibly, on this planet 40 days after he died and rose again. We admitted last week that there are some things in the Bible, like the teaching of the ascension, and maybe even as we look at some of this here this morning, that are difficult for us to understand. Uh, they leave us kind of scratching our heads like, okay, God, I'm not quite following you here of what you're doing. We're a bit perplexed. We're confused. And what I said last week as, as well still stands. All those perplexing things, all those confusing things, all those head-scratching things, next week, Pastor Jay is going to be back, refreshed from vacation. He is going to be ready to answer all those head-scratching things, all right? Yet as we dug into Scripture during last Sunday's sermon, I believe we found some very satisfying and encouraging answers Jesus himself said that it was good that he went away, that he ascended back to heaven because then the advocate, the Holy Spirit, was sent into this world. And it is that spirit who indwells and illuminates and guides, equips and empowers all believers in Christ for godly living and service. In fact, Jesus said because he was going to go away, and because the Holy Spirit was going to come and live and dwell and empower all God's people, that, that was, we were going to be even able to do greater things. 
compared to Jesus the God-man physically and visibly in one place at one time, we now through the Holy Spirit living inside of all of us scattered around this world, Jesus said, you will even do greater things than what I did. So speaking about the ascension and the session of Christ, New Testament scholar Patrick Schreiner says, in a real sense, the ascent is the journey while the sitting is the goal. The ascent to Christ was the journey from earth back to the, the Father's house into heaven, there at the right hand, and the session then is the sitting. That was the goal. Now he's there at a place of honor and authority at the Father's right hand. These both, Shriner says, installed Jesus to glory and declare him to be triumphant. So this morning, we want to ask ourselves another question. What is Jesus doing now? As he sits there in the right hand, is it possible for us to understand what he's trying to accomplish? Or, or is, it, is he just kind of sitting there and kind of waiting for when he will come back sometime in the future? And if we're able to understand a bit of what he is doing now, what impact does that or should that have on our lives? As we'll see, the ascension and the session mark a shift in Christ's function as prophet, priest, and king. For those of us who belong to him, who have been born again, it's imperative that we understand that shift because in Christ, we too have roles of prophet and priest and of king. Join me for a brief moment of prayer, shall we? Father, it's so good to be able to be here today to be here with your people, to honor and worship you. We thank you for that, Father, for the music, for prayer, for giving, for all the things that we get to do as a church family. But thank you as well that we get, op get to open up your word. And we do pray that that spirit, the advocate who was sent into this world, who indwells all believers, he would illuminate your word for us this morning. He would empower us to both speak and to listen, Lord, to your word and make this a very much a part of our lives as we go ahead from here. We pray this all now in Jesus' name. Amen. In the Old Testament, there were prophets and priests and kings, especially related to the nation of Israel. And during his earthly ministry, we see Jesus functioning as a prophet and a priest and a king. But after his ascension, after he's now gone up to heaven, after now he's been seated at the right hand of God, we see that Jesus is now the exalted prophet the exalted priest the exalted king on your outline that we're going to follow here this morning number one is jesus our exalted prophet jesus our exalted prophet back in deuteronomy 18 one of the books of moses god speaking to moses says the following about what a prophet was supposed to be doing god says i will raise up for them the people of israel a prophet like you moses from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. And so the, a primary function of prophets that God is saying here to Moses, and we see throughout the, uh, the Old Testament and even prophets in the New Testament, was to speak the very words of God to tell people what God had said, whether at times God came to them with, with a new message and to share that, or to go back and to uh, look at what God had already said and bring the people an awareness again of what God said in his word to them. Sometimes we may think that with prophets, their, their main job was to kind of tell the future, right? 
Sometimes that's what we have in our minds, a prophet. Oh, he's going to tell me what's going to happen. He's going to tell me, you know, is my favorite sports team going to do really well this year? Am I going to get a good grade on that, that exam coming up? Or am I going to, and we fill in the blank. And God did use prophets to tell about future things. And those prophecies come true time and time again because God is the one giving the prophecies. And God is sovereign and will make all that come to pass. But really, the majority of the job of a prophet was to teach people the word of God. And certainly today, uh, the, 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 the vehicle of preaching is very similar in that way to what the prophets were doing, telling people the word of God. Jesus affirmed that he was a prophet. In Mark 6, he, as people were kind of, um, you know, instead of honoring him for who he was, he says a prophet, talking about himself, is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. In Luke 4, when he was on a Sabbath day, he was in the synagogue, he was reading from the scroll of Isaiah and read this passage. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recover, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after he put the scroll down and sat down, he said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What God had written hundreds of years before through Isaiah the prophet, that there was going to be the Messiah, the one sent from God to be the savior of the world. And Jesus says, that is now fulfilled in your presence. Jesus was and functioned as a prophet during his earthly ministry. And now seated at the right hand of the father, that ministry is so much more. It's interesting that in Acts chapter 3, in one of the sermons Peter has, he uses that passage in Deuteronomy 18 about how God was going to raise up a, a prophet. And God did many prophets over the, the, the history of Israel throughout the Old Testament. But Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has had many prophets throughout the centuries but he has one exalted prophet, one true prophet, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is now the exalted prophet. It's interesting that he is the one about the Old Testament prophecies were made. Okay? The other prophets were pre, uh, talking about things that God was going to be doing, but those things all have their focus in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, our exalted prophet. Second thing we want to look at this morning is that Jesus also our exalted priests. In the Old Testament, the priests, if you know a little bit about uh, what they were doing, represented the people to God and God to the people. As they served in the temple, they entered God's presence, representing the people, mediating for the people, and interceding for the people. An important function was bringing the prescribed sacrifices uh, to God at the right time, the right place that he had asked. And we see a lot of those written in the book of Leviticus. Aaron from the tribe of Levi was the first high priest and subsequent Israelite priests were his descendants. But Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. He was not a descendant of Aaron and yet he was called a priest. Well, how can that be? If God set up that Aaron and his descendants were going to be the priests of Israel, how does Jesus get to be called a priest? I'm glad you asked that question because the scripture does tell us 
why he is able to be called a priest. The book, the author of Hebrews reaches back some 2,000 years to a true story about a person named Melchizedek. Now we find that story in the book of Genesis and it tells us that Melchizedek was a king and a priest of the Most High God. And in, there's not a whole lot said about him in Genesis, but one day after it talks about him, Abraham encounters Melchizedek. Abraham just had a great military victory. He, he uh, rescued Lot and others who were captured by a group of kings, and they're coming back to their own area, and they encounter Melchizedek. And it says the Genesis account that, that Melchizedek blesses Abraham and Abraham in turn gives Melchizedek a tithe of the spoils of war. And so Melchizedek is blessing Abraham but Abraham is also acknowledging and recognizing who Melchizedek is and, and it gives him a tithe of the offerings because he is king and priest of the most high God. The writer of Hebrews, besides grabbing that story from the book of Genesis, also takes a little bit from Psalm chapter 110. Uh, we were looking at another portion of that psalm last week, but later in the psalm, it, talks, it, it says this, that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And so the writer of Hebrews takes both of those two things. So to answer the question, how can Jesus, not a Levite, not from the line of Aaron, how can he be a priest? And he says, Jesus' priesthood is not like Aaron and his descendants. Jesus is a whole different priesthood. He's from the line of Melchizedek, so to speak. Uh, he's, he's like him in that way. He is a king and a priest. And so Jesus then uh, finds his priesthood in another place like that. The text goes on then in Hebrews to tell us this about Jesus. Such a high priest, referring to Jesus, truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, referring to Aaron and his descendants, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all, when he offered himself. You see the difference there? Aaron and his descendants, the priests of Israel, they would be offering sacrifices throughout the year. And certainly there was very, one very significant day, uh, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and make uh, outward atonement for the people. So the priests of Aaron's line did make sacrifices for the sins of the people, but they also had to offer sacrifices for their own sins because they were sinners. And they had to do it year after year after year after year. And hopefully the people of Israel were getting the message that one, sin required a sacrifice, but that what they were doing was not the ultimate payment for that because it was something perpetual going on and on and on. They were ceremonially, ceremonially clean, but not truly inwardly. God would have to do something else beyond that, and that was through Christ. 
And so Christ, because he was the perfect lamb of God, he only had to offer one sacrifice, and that was himself. He only had to do it one time because it was sufficient to pay for the sins of the people of the world. And so Jesus is our exalted high priest. He functioned as a priest during his earthly ministry. He was bringing people to God, representing, mediating, interceding for people. And then, of course, he provided himself as the final and complete sacrifice for sin. And now, seated at the right hand of the Father, his priestly ministry continues in a more expansive way because Jesus has entered heaven itself. Please take your Bibles and turn back to what was read, uh, what Chris read earlier, Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. And just a couple of the verses to go back to. If you remember a little bit about Israel's history and what God had set up, first there was a tabernacle, a portable church, if you will, a giant tent. And they took that with them. And that's where they, the place where they basically did church, so to speak. That's where they offered these sacrifices to God. And later, once they were settled in the land, God, through, through Solomon, built a temple. And then that became the permanent place where they were offering these sacrifices year after year after year. But let's look and see the difference. Just as Aaron from the tribe of Levi and the priest, they had to offer sacrifices for themselves and the people. They did it in the tabernacle, wherever it was at, wandering around over many years, and they did it at the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus only had to offer one sacrifice, not for himself, but he offered himself for all of our sin but he didn't do it in the temple he didn't do it in the tabernacle that was on planet earth he did it somewhere else let's go back and look at these verses this is quite interesting Hebrews 9 verses 11 and 12 but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle see there's something different it's not the earthly one there is a greater and more perfect tabernacle. That one, that greater and more perfect one is not made with human hands. That is to say, it is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Now look down at verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, all right? The earthly tabernacle, the earthly temple. Those were only a copy of the true one. And here's the significant piece here. Jesus entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. And so from other verses that Chris read before and, and as we reread these here, Aaron and his line offered sacrifices in the tabernacle, in the temple, on this planet earth. Jesus offered his own blood, not on this earth. Yes, he died on the cross, but as it's saying, there's these things, this tabernacle, this temple, are shadows of the true reality in heaven. That there is a tabernacle in heaven where Jesus went as the one who sacrificed himself. These things on this earth, the writer Hebrews says, are just a shadow, a picture of the true reality in heaven. And as Jesus went and ascended then, he offers his sacrifice for sin once for all after he died there in the tabernacle in heaven. Christ's priesthood is far greater than anything that the humans had. He is the exalted high priest. 
It's also interesting, one facet of what a priest was doing at times was interceding on behalf of the people, of, of praying for them. And even during Jesus' earthly ministry, we see him from time to time praying. He's praying to his father. Sometimes he's praying about things that are coming up. We see several times where he's praying for others. In fact, even as uh, in John 17, we see very clearly just before he goes to the cross, Jesus is lifting up not only his followers right then, but he says, I'm going to pray for those who are going to believe the message through them. And not just the next generation, but generation after generation. And he's praying for us as well. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that Jesus always intercedes for us. So part of his ministry as a high priest in heaven is to pray for you and for me. You ever thought about that? Jesus, if you belong to him, if you have been bought with his blood, if you've been born again, you and I, Jesus is praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf before the throne of God. That's an incredible thing of, of what he's doing. Uh, there was one, one quote I came across, Louis Burkhoff, in his systematic theology. I think he says it so very well to help us think a little bit about what maybe Jesus is praying for. He says, it's a consoling thought that Christ is praying for us, even when we are negligent in our prayer life, that he is presenting to the Father those spiritual needs which were not present to our own minds and which we often neglect to include in our prayers and that he prays for our protection against the dangers of which we are not even conscious and against the enemies which threaten us, though we do not notice it. He is praying that our faith may not cease and that we may come out victoriously in the end. Isn't that incredible? Now, if you're like me, part of my prayer list and things I have, I'm praying for my family and I'm praying for... Um, Sometimes like current, I have an area like current needs, things that as we're aware of in the body of Christ here and praying for those. I'm praying for ministry leaders and ministries and missionaries and other things. And we all probably have different things we're praying for. But after thinking about reading that and, and thinking about that this week, I realize sometimes I don't always pray for some of those things that Burkhoff mentioned. He says, I'm not always thinking whether for myself or others about the spiritual needs that are there. Am I, praying for, am I praying for my ability to be able to identify maybe sin in my life and Lord asking him to help me overcome that? Am I praying that he'd help uh, develop, the spirit would help develop more of the fruit of the spirit in my life? Am I, am I taking notice of that? Am I thinking about that? Are there other kind of spiritual needs? Am I praying for protection from dangers, not just physical ones, but the spiritual ones? Satan and his demons in what they want to do. We know that he tries to blind the minds of those who do not believe Christ, but he also tries to, to hurt us as believers. He can't take us out of Christ, but he may try to cause us to doubt. He may get us distracted. He could, he could get me to think more about things of myself or things of this life and not thinking about the big picture of what is it that God wants? What does God want to do in my life? What does God want to do through my life? And it's so thankful and assuring that Jesus in his role as the high priest is praying on our behalf <clears throat> before the throne of God. Lastly, Jesus is our exalted king. 
Jesus is our exalted king. The Israelite kings, besides ruling justly and protecting the people, were to embody the Torah, God's laws. In fact, it's interesting it says in Deuteronomy 17 that when the king was to take his throne, he had a job to do. He had to sit down somewhere and he had to copy God's law. He had to write it out. Now, older generations, we would know a little bit about penmanship, right? Learning all that. Uh, you know, that's probably not as a, a necessity anymore, right? Where everything's on the web, you can scan and paste and cut and do all this or just, you know, type out like that and about penmanship. But he had to write down all these laws. And it says why he was to do that. He is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. It is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life and here's the reason why. So that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Now as we know a little bit from Israel's history, uh, there were only a handful, <laughs> only a handful of some godly kings. The scripture doesn't tell us how many of them actually did this, how many wrote it down. I would think that quite a few of them probably did not. Or if they did, they probably didn't keep reading it all the days of their life that God asked them to do that because that was so evident by how they ruled. So many of them did not follow God. So many of them led the people to worship idols. They didn't write down these things. And I was thinking about, you know, writing things down. I'm not sure why sometimes the, your mind goes places, but I think I was in second or third grade, and, and um, something I did, sorry, you may not believe this, but I did something wrong in class, and I had to write a hundred times, I will not something, or I don't, honestly, I don't quite remember. It was, I'm sure I deserved it, believe me, okay? And we had just learned penmanship, Okay, the cursive, sorry, we just learned cursive, right? So we're practicing that. So, you know, I was thinking, and, she, and the teacher said, you got to write it in cursive. And I'm thinking, oh, man, you know, because I had it down there, right? You have, you know, your, your line paper, and if you're just printing it out, I, one eye straight down the line, right? <laughs> I, W, I, and then the, the L's, straight down the line, right? Here's the young kid's mind, eight or nine years old, trying to think, how can I get done with this so quickly? I'm trying to write this all out. Some of you have been doing that too, I could tell. You're like laughing like, yeah, I did that. <laughs> Writing it out. I think I learned at least for a while that lesson, whatever it was that uh, I had done wrong. But they were supposed to write out the law and read it regularly so they could revere the Lord, their God, and follow carefully all those things. Jesus, when he was to be born, it was announced by the angels that the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And even during his ministry, Jesus talked about the kingdom. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And now Jesus is at the right hand of God. Jesus has been installed and enthroned as the exalted king. If you would, in your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2, if you will. We're going to look at Philippians, and then toward the end of the message, we have one other place I would like you to turn to. So Philippians chapter 2. Just a couple books before the book of Hebrews. 
In this, in this passage, really starting around verse 6, he starts talking about this, this, some even look at it as almost like a hymn about the Lord Jesus and, and things about him. But I'm going to pick it up there at verse 8. All right, Philippians 2, verse 8 and following. And being found, this is talking about Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Now catch that, therefore. Why is that therefore, therefore? Well, because Jesus humbled himself. Because Jesus died on the cross as part of God's plan for us. Therefore, God exalts him to the highest place and gives him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus, yes, while he was here on the earth, he was king. He was king before ever came to this planet and took on human flesh. He talked like he was a king while he was on this earth. But the scripture tells us that, you know, if people were just looking at this man, Jesus, there would have been nothing special about him. You know, he wasn't the tallest around. He wasn't the most well-built. He wasn't, you know, there wasn't, he wasn't dressed in the fanciest whatever. He didn't have the, the high-end chariot that he rode around in or whatever else would have been done. He didn't do things I'm going to put it the right way. He wasn't that kind of trying to get attention just for that sense. He got attention as he talked. He got attention as he did miracles. But even Isaiah says, as we look at him, there was, yeah, there's nothing special there, Isaiah 53. He just seemed like an ordinary person by his looks. And so God, to make sure that everybody would know that Jesus King has exalted him to the highest place, now, as we said before, you look at your news feeds and stuff and there's not a lot being talked about as Jesus is the ascended King of kings and Lord of lords. But there's going to be that one day. One day, Philippians says, every knee will bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's going to be a day where then it's going to, it's, he's going to be recognized for the king as he is. If you think about... Um, In the Disney movie, movie The Lion King, the movie starts out, little young lion Simba is born, right? You know the thing, he's circle of life and all those kind of things. And the movie goes through in his life and all the different things that happens. And toward the end, he, you know, he's coming back and he's fighting his uncle Scar because Scar has been kind of like the acting king, if you will. And Simba finally realizes you know, who he is, that he is the true king. And he comes back and he defeats them. And then what happens at the end? He has to go walk, right? Walk up on Pride Rock there in front of everybody so they all would recognize that he is the king. And they, the animals in the movie just bow down because he's the king. One day, God is going to make sure everyone recognizes that Jesus is the true king. And they're going to have to bow the knee either out of love and worship which that's going to be true for us who belong to Christ or out of obligation. They have no choice at all and God's going to force them to bow the knee and render homage to the one who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Before... 
Christ was prophet on the earth, but now he builds his church as the prophet in heaven. Before, Jesus was priest on the earth. Now he intercedes as the heavenly priest. Before, Jesus was worshipped as the king of the Jews. Now he has been installed as the Lord of heaven and earth. Amen to that. Our last point to look at, believers as prophets, priests, and kings. And this is all true for us because we are united with Christ. We are in him, okay? If you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been born again, you and I are in Christ. We are already seated with him in the heavenlies. We are united with him for all eternity. Wayne Grudem says, amazingly, we as Christians even now begin to imitate Christ in each of these three roles, though in a subordinate way. We have a prophetic role as we proclaim the gospel to the world and thereby bring God's saving word to the people. Now, you think about uh, proclaiming the gospel to the world, it's not talking about only maybe those that may have the gift of teaching or have the opportunity to preach or to, you know, their, their, their whole ministry is evangelism. This is all of us as believers. We have the opportunity to share the word of God, to share the gospel. Am I sharing it with people I know? Whether family or friends, or brothers and sisters in Christ, or my neighbors, or, or other things like that, we have that opportunity, a prophetic role, to proclaim the gospel to the world and bring God's saving word to people. We also have a priestly role. In 1 Peter 2, it says, You also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are being built into a spiritual house we're a holy priesthood we have spiritual sacrifices not animals that we're sacrificing or things like that scripture tells us a few things what are some of these spiritual sacrifices we should be continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God I should not be neglecting to do good and to share with those what I have for with such sacrifices God is well pleased And Romans 12 tells us that as in light of all that God has done for us through Christ, you and I who belong to him need to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And just like Christ in his priestly role intercedes for us, we have that incredible privilege of interceding for others. We also have a kingly role because we have been raised with Christ, as we mentioned. We're seated with him in the heavenlies, Ephesians 2 tells us. We have been given his power and authority over spiritual forces. We have the armor of God that we can take to fight the battles and find ourselves standing. James 4 says, when we submit ourselves to God and resist the devil, the devil will flee from us. Why? Because of us? No. Because of the authority and the power that God has given to us. And even in 1 John it says, us, we are overcomers because greater is he that is in us than he that is in us the world and so Christ is the exalted prophet the exalted priest the exalted king we as believers have roles of prophet priest and king because we are in him so let's wrap this up let's land the plane what is what do we take from here now so we ask the question what is Jesus doing now he is that exalted priest prophet and king but also John 14 tells us that Jesus is preparing a place he was going back to his father's house he was telling his Followers, after he was, would die, he'd go back to them, and he's preparing a place for us. 
He's appearing a place for his people to join him for all eternity. But that truth may not be necessarily true for all of us who are here this morning. Yes, Jesus is preparing a place, and it's going to be for all his people, but just because you and I are sitting here in church today or reading a Bible or whatever we think doesn't mean that we are God's people doesn't mean that that we are going to be going to that place that Jesus is preparing Jesus said in Luke 19 10 that he came to seek and save the lost Jesus the son of God came to this planet not only to teach and to heal people and live a perfect life which he did but he also came to be our savior and that begs the question why do we need a savior from what do we need to be saved and thankfully God tells us exactly why we need a savior and from what we need to be saved. The scripture says that our sin, our disobedience of God's laws, our our moral imperfection keeps us from knowing God personally and places us under eternal judgment. And the Bible doesn't, uh, is not ambiguous when it says who all fits in that category, for it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news, if you will. But thankfully, God lets us know that there is bad news so we can be aware of it. Now, there's, I guess you'd say there's even further bad news because God says there's, you know what, Tim and the rest of you, there's not anything you can do to take yourself out of that position. There's nothing I can do to pay for my sin. There's nothing I can do to remove that eternal judgment that stands against me, and you can't do anything either. God had to do it for us. And thankfully, because he loves us so much, he did all that was needed. And that was in sending his son. Because of his incredible love, God sent Jesus so he could change that condition for us. The Bible says Christ took your sin and my sin on himself while hanging on the cross and paid the penalty through his death and resurrection so that we would not have to die in our sins. More than that, he also wants so we can be put into his family and enjoy a forever relationship with him. And this salvation from the Lord is offered to us, the Bible says, as a free gift. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever, what? Believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Or Ephesians 2.8.9 says, For by grace you are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast so in receiving a gift you you stop to think about it you're having faith that that person has given you a gift and that you're taking it for yourself so when you see there that gift from aunt Susie and it says got your name on it you realize that she wants to give that to you and by faith you take it for yourself we need this gift from God and it's received by recognizing our need of a savior are being rescued from eternal death. Turning to God and putting our complete faith and trust in Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. And the amazing thing is that God says today can be that day of salvation for you. Some of you may have come in here this morning. You are not, Jesus is preparing your place, but right now you don't have reservations to go there because you don't belong to Christ. But today that can change. You can come to God in humble faith Turn to him and say, God, I desperately need a Savior. Only you can save me through Jesus Christ and embrace Christ by faith and trust in him alone.
if you have questions about that or anything else after the service we're going to have some people up here to talk with you about that to pray with you uh, about these things I'd hope you come and uh, take advantage of that the last place I said we were in one more place turn to let's go to the end of the story Revelation chapter 21 and 22 and just a couple verses Revelation 21 Starting at verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And then the very last chapter, chapter 22, starting at verse 3, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord will God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever there will be a day when we will realize as God's people and experience all that God intends for us in a forever relationship with him no more effects of sin sorrow and death our knowledge of him will be perfect our worship of him will be perfect as we behold his face and we dwell in his presence and we will reign with him over the universe so be encouraged church be encouraged, followers of Jesus Christ. Be joyful, be hope-filled, because our God reigns. And may the Lord allow these great truths to overshadow, to win out over the challenges, the grief, the disappointments we face in this life, because those are so real, and they just seem to keep piling up on us at times, and we get discouraged, and we get our eyes off of Jesus. And to kind of take a little bit of the language of Romans 6, as we... As we as, um, as the challenges abound, as the grief abounds, as these disappointments abound, may the truth of God's uh, incarnation of Christ to this world, may his death and resurrection, his ascension and session uh, more abound, greatly more abound, so that our eyes and our minds are thinking beyond the here and thinking about who we are in Christ and what he has for us in the future. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this these amazing truths about this for all that Jesus came to do from taking on human flesh to living a perfect life, giving his life as a sacrifice, substituting himself for us so that you could offer us the amazing gift of salvation. Father, we thank you for that. May you remind us, Lord, as your people that just as Christ is our exalted prophet, priest, and king, we now have roles of that with him. Uh, to be like Christ in those ways. Lord, may you help us to do that. May we be encouraged that you are the God in control. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.